Good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us today. Not only the folks that are in the sanctuary, but we have folks that are participating through live streaming in our broadcast. As always, if you're on the center aisle here, if you'll take the friendship pads, sign those and pass them down, we'd appreciate it. Um, as always, Valor and I were talking this morning, our bulletins are getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of information in there. Um, I'd rather not have you read it during the sermon. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you guys would take a look at what's, what's there, there's, there's lots of service opportunities, ways to get involved, Bible studies, all kinds of things that obviously we'd like to have you all involved in. So please look at that when you get a chance. We're blessed again this morning uh, to have Dr. Joe King leading us in worship. Um, for many of us, uh, Pastor Joe is just Pastor Joe. I mean, we remember Joe from the early days of this church and him pastoring this church. So he's, he's kind of like, okay, it's Joe. <laughs> uh, just so you understand, too, uh, the, the fact that Joe and Nancy live in this community and that Joe and Nancy have been so gracious to fill in uh, for us when we have situations like we have with Jeff this time. Um, he is very special to all of us, and Joe, thank you very much for being here. Um, most of you know this because it came out in an email, but uh, Jeff and Evie have uh, COVID. Uh, Evie has recovered a little better uh, than Jeff. Jeff is still struggling a bit, but uh, I'm sure he would appreciate uh, your prayers. Okay, uh, well now, uh, Brenda Roberts has some information from the women's ministry. Good morning. Uh, the Women's Ministry Council is sponsoring a special event on August the 5th, and it's called Tea Time with Evie. Hold on. So, hold on just a minute. I have some questions for you. Uh, I haven't been uh, going here very long, you know. I believe I recognize you. Uh, my name is Trelly Lee. Trelly Lee. Yeah, okay. Well, it's very nice to meet you, Trelly Lee. We're just so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. Just come right on over here, okay. and I'll answer all of your questions. Okay. I wrote them all down, so I wouldn't forget. Yeah, I you like your little pocketbook and your hat's lovely. Thanks, Queen Elizabeth. Okay, the first question I have. Is this like mugs and muffins? I mean, I never went to mugs and muffins, but I do think that they had to bring a mug and could eat a muffin. This is true, but this is not a mugs and muffin. You do not have to bring a mug. We're going to have tea for our tea time with Evie. In fact, I have a cup of tea for you this morning. Oh! <clears throat> got it all set up now. So this is our little teacup. 
Okay, well, what other kind of questions? We've covered that it's not a mugs and muffins, and you do not, do not need to bring a mug. Okay, Just well, bring yourself. I'm sorry. Who is it for? It's for all the ladies in the church. Okay, I have a granddaughter visiting me. Would it be appropriate to bring her? How old is she? Ten. Can you get a babysitter? Yes. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. Okay. I think this is probably not an event that she would really be interested okay. in. Okay. Is it for members only? No, it's not just for members. It's for guests. Um, you can bring a, your next-door neighbor if you want to. But if, if they're not a member, is somebody going to sit with them, or are they going to be lonesome? Well... We're a very friendly group. Oh, good. That's and we'll heard. just make her feel right at home with all the other ladies that'll be there. Am I going to get an invitation in the mail? Well, no. We're sending out email blasts, and it's in the newsletter. And um, if I can find my invitations, I've got some printed up. I've just got to go check and see if they're ready. And hopefully I'll be able to pass you out one on your way out the door. Okay, do I need to RSVP? You do not need to RSVP. We're, we're planning on a big group, so we'll have plenty of teacups, and we'll have pastries, and we'll have um, muffins. Okay, so a little refreshment, but not lunch, so I can go Taco Bell afterwards. You can go to Taco Bell afterwards. We will not be serving lunch. This is just a tea. A tea. Tea time with Evie. Okay, and now when is it? It's Thursday morning, August the 5th. So that's just a couple of weeks away. So it's going to be here at the church. Where do I go when I come in here? You go to rooms 111 and 112, which is at the end of this long hall. You've probably never been down that way. No. But it's at the end of this long right hall. Right past the restroom. I did go there. Past the restroom and take a right. <laughs> What time is it going to start? It's going to start at 10 a.m. and should be over 11, 11.30, something like that, in time for you to get to the Taco Bell. Okay, so what does T-E-A stand for? Is it tacos, enchiladas, and arepas? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, honestly, I, I don't know what the T-E-A stands for. Miss Evie Birch... Um, you know, she's the pastor's wife. She's going to be our guest speaker. And she made this little title up, and it does say T period, E period, A period time. So that leads me to believe that it stands for something. I hope it's not taxes. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you, Miss Brenda. I think I will come here. That sounds like a great way to meet other ladies that I'm sure we'll have something in common with, and that's Jesus. That is so true, and we're, we're here to worship Jesus and to have fun and fellowship with each other, and I know if all you ladies come, you'll have a good time. You might meet some new friends, have a cup of tea. Now, if you don't like tea, we're going to have some coffee, too. So everybody plan on coming. That's just two weeks away. Put it on your calendar. And be here. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take my teacup back. All right.
Thank you, Amy. That was terrific. Thank you. Um, I want to focus our attention to the Word of God, Psalm 103. It's a psalm of David, and he says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to this place today and give you glory and to worship you and to praise you for you are our God and you are worthy to be praised. As the psalmist wrote many, many years ago, that we want to bless you with all that is within us, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. And so, Father, as we sing, we're reminded we sing to you. We sing to the one who created us in his image. And now, Lord, would you send the Holy Spirit in great measure this morning that we might worship you and give you glory, give you praise, and give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand with me and let's sing joyfully and loudly. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. notice this morning in our confession of faith is the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed took place at a council in AD 325. The church was divided over who is Jesus Christ. Is he the same substance as the Father or is he something different? And so this creed clearly was teaching about Jesus Christ being the Son of God, eternally begotten, 
of the same substance as the Father and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one Godhead forever. It was contrasting that which was modalism, which God shows up and then the Son shows up and then the Spirit shows up. And they were saying, no, they're all eternal. They've all been here forever. And so this creed was written. But I have to tell you, there were people who died as a result of their faith of standing upon what this creed teaches. And after this creed was written in 325 at the Council of Nicaea, the church was unified for a short period of time, and the gospel went forth with great power and conviction. So I want to ask you to join with me, reading in unison this wonderful creed called the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Would you stand together and let's sing this wonderful song of praise before the throne of God above.
be seated. I want to invite you to a, a time of prayer, and it's appropriate for us to pray together that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and that I'd like to lead us a congregational prayer. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we come into your presence and we thank you that you've been here before we came. Your spirit is here. And Lord, we thank you for the praises that we can lift to you in songs. And now, Father, thank you for the privilege we have to call you our Father, denoting children. And we come, Lord, because you've asked us to come. And you've told us that you will hear. Father, we would pray today for Reverend Birch, his dear wife, Evie, as they recover from this disease of COVID. Lord, would you take away that? Would you restore their health that they can come back to this place and minister into this community? We pray that you would strengthen them. We pray also, Father, today for George Roundtree as he is away seeking treatment as well in the medical facility. And we pray for his wife, Barb, and thank you for their ministry here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church for so many years. Lord, would you grant healing to George? Would you give them peace? Would you give them comfort? Father, there are others in this fellowship this morning that need our prayers. Some of them are our children. Some of them are our grandchildren, maybe our great-grandchildren, or even a spouse. We pray, Father, for the widows of this congregation, as you've told us, that we are to pure and defiled religion is to visit widows and orphans in time of need. And we ask, Lord, that you would give them comfort. We pray, Father, for those that are struggling this morning, either financially, struggling with health issues. We pray, Father, for those that are taking care of those that have health issues that are very complicated. Lord, give grace, give strength, comfort them. We pray, Father, for our country, and we thank you for our freedom that we have. And we would pray for our military, and especially those that are away from their homes, serving in other countries this morning. We pray, Father, that you would guide us as a country back to your word, to be the central focus And we pray, Father, for those that have authority over us in government positions as you have commanded us to do. And we pray, Father, for repentance for our nation, repentance for our own hearts, that we might seek you 
and receive the blessing of God in freshness with an anointing again. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this church. Thank you for its membership. Thank you for those that come faithfully each and every week. Thank you for the elders and the deacons and for those that serve, especially those that serve regularly without recognition. Lord, would you bless, would you comfort, would you encourage? Use this church as a lighthouse in this community. As people come and walk through these doors and know Jesus through the Spirit is present in this place. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayer. We ask it in the name of Jesus and we thank you for the offerings that we bring because we're reminded of the ultimate offering of your son Jesus Christ who paid it all for us as sinners and forgives us. In his name we do pray. Amen.
please be seated. I want to invite your attention to the Gospel of John and the fourth chapter. Let's say, first of all, it's a privilege to be here once again. I'm sorry that it's under the circumstances of Reverend Birch being uh, ill. I know that you will pray for him and pray for his wife, Evie. They can get over this COVID experience. It's, he is somewhat better, but uh, they still would cherish your prayers and your comfort, encouragement, and I know they would appreciate that, that very much. But it's my honor to be here uh, once again to uh, fill the pulpit uh, for him and for the session of this church. Uh, many, many memories of uh, being here for 12 years, serving as a pastor here, and I see many uh, faces that uh, are familiar friends and a few new ones that I haven't seen before, and we welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, It's a wonderful congregation. Uh, I want to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 4, and uh, it's a little lengthy uh, reading of Scripture um, this morning, but if you would focus your attention on God's Word this morning, and let me remind you, this is... Uh, God's God's word. Um, it's inspired. God has breathed it out, literally. That's what it means. And human beings recorded it without error. And so we come to the fourth chapter today, and uh, let's listen to what uh, the word of God says to us. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from him himself as his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, 
Call your husband and come here. A woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither of us in this mountain nor Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We would ask now that the Spirit would guide us, teach us, bring things to our remembrance, help us to understand what your word is teaching here. And we give you the praise, and we give you the glory, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that Jesus said just before he ascended to go back to the Father, it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through verses 20, and it says this, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. I want you to focus just for a second on that phrase, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Now you're probably, if you're an English major and you're looking at that text of scripture and you're looking at it in English, you might think the imperative there that John uses is the word go, commandment to go, but he didn't. He used a participle. The imperative is to make disciples. And so what John is saying is this, Jesus is saying, as you are going, make disciples. Now, one of the things that's essential in making a disciple is making a convert. Because disciples have to first believe. And so this morning, as we look at John chapter 4, we're going to be looking at some of the principles that Jesus used in evangelizing with the woman at the well. And I want to invite your attention to this text of Scripture because we're going to have to move fairly quickly. 
But I want to first of all introduce to you what Jesus is saying here in verse 4 because he says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, I want you to use your imagination for just a minute because I'm going to draw you a picture. This is, pretend this is an invisible board that I'm writing on. Here's my pen. All this area right here is called Israel. It's important I give you some background for this text. Now, the first kings of Israel, Saul, David, Solomon, this was all one big country. However, after Solomon, he was succeeded by his son, Rehoboam, and the kingdom divided in 933 B.C. Now we had ten tribes in the north. We had two tribes in the south. The two tribes that stayed in the south were Judah and Benjamin. The other tribes in the ten tribes stayed in the north. Until 722, when somebody from over here came by the name of Tigris Pelesier, by the way, you won't find that name in any Bible baby book at all. I just call him TP for short. Came from Assyria and conquered the northern kingdom. And when he conquered the northern kingdom, he took a lot of them back to Assyria and they intermarried and had children. And they became known as Samaritans. Then in 586, another group came in to the southern kingdom from the Babylonian Empire, and their leader was Nebuchadnezzar. And they also interbred with the people. Now, some years later, about 500 B.C., there was a man by the name of Cyrus the Great, the king, who came in and was very favorable to the Jews and said, you can move back to your territory. Now, let me draw the map for you again. The scene is not one big country anymore. I said it had divided. It divided even more. The northern territory is called Galilee. That's where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. That's where he performed his first miracle in the city of Cana. Then the southern part is called Judah. Judah is where Jerusalem is and the temple and Bethlehem where Jesus was born. There's a territory in the middle called Samaria. Now watch this. Jesus performed his first miracle in John chapter 2 in Galilee. He went over to the coast, I mean went over to the uh, uh, to the to the lake of Gennesaret for a period of time with his family. Then he went down to Jerusalem. Now he's coming back up, and he's going through Samaria. You say, well, what's the big deal there? The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other, terribly hated. Let me tell you why they hated each other. Well, Samaritans were half-breed. They weren't full-blooded Jews. The full-blooded Jews in the south that... God forbid that somebody would marry somebody other than a Jew. Samaritans violated the Mosaic Covenant. Samaritans only believed the first five books, which we call the Pentateuch, 
were inspired. The prophets, the minor prophets and the major prophets shouldn't even be in the Bible. The Jews are saying, no, it's the whole word of God. And then the Samaritans <clears throat> held on to the five books and they, they also uh, had uh, established their own place of worship in Samaria called Mount Gerizim. We'll get to that in a minute. The Jews kept their place of worship down in Jerusalem. So there's this contrast of whether it's Mount Gerizim in the north or whether it is Jerusalem for the temple in the south. And so they hated each other. It was so bad that any time a Jew went into Samaria and would leave, often he would take his shoes off and he would knock the dust off before he came back into Jerusalem. It was that bad. They hated each other. Matter of fact, when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, some of the Samaritans felt so bad they wanted to come down and help them rebuild it. And the Jews said, no, we don't want you here. And then what did the Samaritans do? They went and sacrificed a pig on the altar, which stopped the construction for a while. Because the Jews don't eat any pork. Bad blood. I say all that to tell you this. Verse 4 says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He's coming from Jerusalem. He's going back to Galilee where his family was. And there's this country that he went through that many people despised. And I want you to see what happens as he's there. This was a divine appointment of Jesus to meet this woman. You ever had one of those divine appointments where the Lord just absolutely, you knew this is a God thing. I, I think of him in the Bible. I think of Luke 19, for instance, with Zacchaeus, very wealthy man, short man in stature, very wealthy man, a, a man that was a tax collector, ripped a lot of people off for money. He's up in this little sycamore tree wanting to see Jesus. And as Jesus passes through Jericho, Jesus noticed him first. Said, you come down, I'm staying in your house. How do you think, how do you think Zacchaeus felt about that at first? And then it says, he had a changed heart. He said, if I've befriended anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times. That's repentance. Or I think of Acts chapter 8, another divine appointment. One of the first deacons in the early church was a man by the name of Philip. The Lord spoke to him one day and said, I want you to go out on the desert road going to Gaza. And I want you to, I want you to be an evangelist. He went down there and there is this chariot on the road. And, he walked, and, and the guy is opening the, the scroll of Isaiah, reading from Isaiah 53. And Philip walks up into the chariot and says, do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, I don't understand unless somebody interprets it for me. He says, well, let me tell you what that's about. That's really about Jesus. Isaiah 53. And the man believes, and they're going down the road, and he says, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Those are divine appointments. And so here we see it. Jesus makes a divine appointment with this woman. Now, let me give you some principles that I think will help as we walk through this passage of Scripture, number one is in verse 7. If you're taking notes, verse 7. Jesus 
was available to talk to this woman. He made social contacts. Normally, Jews did not talk to Samaritans, and especially if it was a female Samaritan. Jesus is breaking all the cultural barriers. And so as he's sitting there and he is talking with this woman, he gets into a conversation with us, but he made himself available. Now notice something here. Secondly, they had a common need, and that was water. Jesus initiated the conversation. And he said to him, can you give me a drink of water? Well, she's looking around and saying, well, what are you going to draw it out of the well with? He says, you don't have anything to draw it out with. She says, are you greater than Jacob? By the way, that text goes back to Genesis chapter 28 when Jacob gave this parcel of property to Joseph, one of the tribes, and it has a spring on it. And if you go to Israel today, you can actually go and see the spring. It's still functioning outside a church there. And she's wanting to know, hey, are you greater? How are you going to get water out of this? Now, you'll notice that Jesus is speaking to her on two different levels about water. Physical level, and then a much higher level because he calls it living water. She's scratching her head saying, living water? Never heard that term before. She's thinking that if I just get this living water, I don't have to come back to this well And I I don't have to haul this water every day. Well, Jesus established a common need. You know, when you're going to evangelize and you're going to share the gospel, start with something that you have in common. Maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's a sunset that you're seeing. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's, it's something that you've noticed that they have that you've had one in the past. And so you initially start on a common ground, and for Jesus, that was water. Thirdly, Jesus was alone when he spoke to her. You'll notice the text says here um, in uh, verses 8 and verses 27, woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into this city to buy food. Now, there are different ways of evangelism. There is mass evangelism, such as crusade evangelism that Billy Graham did for many, many years. There is small group evangelism. There is uh, radio evangelism, TV evangelism. There is printed evangelism. The, The list goes on and on and on. But I think one of the most effective is the one on one evangelism. And so that's what we see here. Jesus is alone. The disciples have gone off to to buy bread for its lunchtime. And then fourthly, notice this woman has a past. And so um, in verses 16, it says, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband, and you is, is true. 
One of the um, commentaries that I was reading this week in preparing this says, in the original language here, it could be construed that the woman that is living with this husband, he was married. So she's living in an adulterous situation to a married man. She's had five husbands. Now, notice Jesus is not surprised. He does not condemn her. He knows that she's got a past. And so he is simply bringing this up to prove to her who he really is. You know, sometimes we think about people that sharing the gospel and we think, oh, I'm not so sure the Lord could ever save that person. I mean, look at, look at what they, they, have, they have served. I mean, they're murderers or thieves or something. Let me give you an example from the Bible. Acts chapter 9, there was a man who persecuted the church. He dragged out women and children, murdered them. Saul instigated the whole thing. One day he's on the road to Damascus and the Lord speaks to him. He's converted. He goes to a house and a guy by the name of Ananias comes, wants to put his hands upon him and pray for him and baptize him. He don't want to go because he's heard this man's reputation. That man was the Apostle Paul. Paul. Do you realize that the 27 books of the New Testament that you hold in your lap, he wrote 13 of them? Amazing how God changes heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. All things have become new. And I don't know where you are, and we've all got a past. And whoever you share the gospel with has a past. But don't let it surprise you. Because you're God's messenger to give the gospel so that that person can see and believe in a changed life. Often asked the question, which is more important, to witness with your lifestyle or is it witness with your mouth? And that's kind of like asking a, a pilot, which wing of the aircraft is more important? Uh, they're both important. We need to do both. Jesus here is doing evangelism verbally. Number six, don't get sidetracked in the conversation. Notice what happens here. When Jesus tells them, you've had five husbands, what does she immediately want to do? I've got to change the subject here. You're, you're poking a little too deep here, Jesus. And notice what she says. She says, now listen, you're a Jew and Jews believe that we're supposed to go down to Jerusalem to worship. I am a Samaritan. Samaritans believe we go to Mount Gerizim. What do you really think, Jesus? really had nothing to do with what Jesus was really saying. And so here's the principle. Answer the question if you can, but don't get sidetracked when you're answering the question. Jesus didn't. And so she wants to know, what's the proper place to worship? When you're evangelizing someone, you're sharing the gospel, some of the smoke screens that they'll throw up are this. 
which denomination do you think is right? Which mode of baptism? You know, I used to go to a church and they dunked everybody and you go to one, they just use a little bit of water. What's really right? Do you really think that uh, babies should be baptized? Oh, and what about the heathen people in Africa that won't hear the gospel? What happens to them when they die? You've heard all these arguments, you know. And it's easy to get sidetracked and find yourself saying, and if you don't know the answer, let me tell you what to say. I don't know. But let me just tell you what I do know because that's what's changed my life. See, I went from talking about their concern to getting them to where they really need to be thinking about. Now, Jesus gave praise. Notice this woman walked away. She was a changed person. person with a horrible reputation and yet she became one of the great evangelists in Sychar. Notice verse 28 and what it says. And so the woman left her water jar. Now that would have been a very valuable thing. We don't know if she ever came back to get it or not. We don't even know if she ever filled it up. John doesn't tell us because that's not what's really important. And went away into town and said to the people, Listen, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. I know that some of you are sitting here saying, I could never do what you're telling me to do. Yes, you can. Let me just tell you how. Just tell your story. Tell how God has changed you. How he has changed your life and what you have now. Uh, let me give you another little tool. I carry around in my pocket things like these. This is a little gospel track. This was written by Evangelism Explosion. Here's one that's written by the Billy Graham Crusade uh, organization. And sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, all I do is just open this up and just read it with them. It's just so simple. And you get to the last page and you say, you know, is that something you'd like to receive today as eternal life or do you want to think about that? Well, usually they'll say, I want to think about it for a little while. Then I'll say, well, good. Let me call you and get, get back with you because I'm going to be praying for you with it. That's a very simple way of evangelizing. It's just going through this. But there are also seminars, and there's good books, and there's things on YouTube that you can uh, be educated about and know and, and learn and grow and share your faith. And I think that some of the most effective evangelists that I know are people just like you that are just going to share what God has done, and they've got a plan, and they've prayed when I took uh, evangelism training many, many years ago, I was paired up with a lady who was a, a grandmother, and uh, she had five grandchildren, and uh, I went out with her, and she was training me how to share my faith. Now, you have to admit, 
I had a seminary degree at this point. But I really didn't know how to effectively share the gospel with someone. I really couldn't put it together. I really didn't know. I knew all the deep things of God, but I didn't know really how to one-on-one share the gospel. And I watched this lady sit down and just go through a very simple outline. This is how you do it. And I was amazed. And I learned so much from her, just watching her and her love for the person that we were sharing the gospel with. Well, some of you are thinking, you know, I'm not so sure that I could ever do that. Let me assure you, you're the kind of person that God can use. You're the person that God can really touch and use the heart. Maybe you need to start praying that God would open opportunities. God would open up opportunities for you to learn. You would be willing. And that you would be aware of the need because God can use you despite the fact you may not believe that. When my daughter was very little and uh, she was learning to ride a bicycle, we bought her a little bicycle. It had training wheels on it. You know, training wheels keep the bike upright. Bought her a little pink and white helmet, match her little, little bicycle, and I would put it in our van and I would take it down to the park and uh, I'd let her ride because we didn't have a level place at our yard on the basketball court down at the park. There were no rocks. It was safe. Nice place to go ride the bicycle. So for several months, that's what we did. We went down to the park and I took the bicycle down there and we would, she would ride around and she would just laugh and have such a good time and it was so much fun. There came a day one Saturday when I was watching her ride the bicycle that I noticed the training wheels were hardly touching the ground. So I got on the cell phone and I called my wife Nancy. I said, can you come down here to the park and bring the video camera and a wrench? And she came and she showed up. She had the video camera and I had the wrench. The first question is, Daddy, what you going to do with the wrench? I said, well, I've noticed that those training wheels are hardly touching the ground. And I said, you know, I think it's time we took them off. No, Daddy. No. You can't take them off. Yes, I'm going to take them off. You're the meanest Daddy. Why are you doing this? And tears started crawling down. And and she was fussing and stomping and all this sort of thing. And I took them off and I laid the bike down. And I said, now I want to hold it up. And I want you to ride it. She said, okay. She got on it. She started pedaling. She was wobbling back and forth like this. And pretty soon she got around and I was trying to run to catch up with her. And I couldn't keep up with her. And she was doing fine until she noticed that I wasn't behind her. And then she kind of just fell apart. She started laughing. And she realized the thing that she couldn't do... She had learned to do. And that evening we were saying our prayers upstairs on her bed. And I remember the little prayer she said. Thank you Lord I've learned to ride my bike without my tri- with the training wheels. 
You know, evangelism is not a hard thing. Some of you, it scares you to death. Trust me, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know the joy it is when you have a new baby coming into the home, whether it's a grandchild or a great-grandchild, and everybody wants to hold it, and smiles and goo-goos, and everybody's just so happy to have their pictures made, and you want to put it on Facebook, and boy, you know the joy that brings? You know the joy that it brings when you have a young convert that comes and embraces Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they know totally nothing except what you've told them. You want to light a church on fire? That's how you do it. Just get some people that are saying, you know what, I'm going to pray that God would use me. God would use me. And start praying for certain people that you know. Make those contacts, people that you know. May God continue to use his word to our hearts and to make us converts who become disciples who want to make a difference. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of scripture and for the lessons that we learn from Jesus teaching this woman at the well. Lord, would you raise up from this congregation and burden the hearts of certain ones here to be used for your kingdom's sake to give the gospel. Thank you that you have said in your word when we receive the Holy Spirit, the power, power to evangelize in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Thank you. Lord, would you do that at Lake Oconee? Not for our sake, but for your sake. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that someone shared with us and you opened our hearts to believe. And we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to stand and sing this last hymn of Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father. Would you stand together as we sing?
Would you remain standing and receive the benediction and the blessing of our God? Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before his throne, to him be all glory and power forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're just...